And today's episode, we are going to talk about, in my opinion, maybe one of the most divisive prospects in this draft. I got my guy Chuck from Chucking Darts. We are going to break down our thoughts or share our thoughts and opinions, which may be a little bit conflicting on Duke's Derek Whitehead. Stay tuned. Big, big shout out to each and every person that has made the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast your first listen of the day. I am your host, Rafael Barlow, the director of scouting for NBA Big Board and the founder of NBA Draft Junkies. And I have a special guest today. He is one of the best in the whole draft Twitter space. Um, I see it as like this community of guys that just eat, sleep and breathe basketball, NBA draft. And uh, it's, it's like we're it's like a bunch of friends that we really haven't physically met. I mean, I've met some guys at summer league, but he is one of my 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 top go to guys when it comes to draft Twitter. Just I, I love to read his tweets and, and hear his opinion. Some I agree with, some I disagree with, but that's I'm, I'm sure it's the same for me as the same for everybody else. And in today's episode, we're going to talk about Derek Whitehead, who we tend to disagree on first of all chuck thanks for for coming on how's everything going down in in your world in in austin texas <laughs> everything's going great thank you very much uh for having me on this is obviously uh a great privilege of mine i'm ready to do this like you know first take we got the conflict we're just gonna you know argue with each other get those ratings up this is going to be good, man. But this, See, I, my everything in my life is good. I hope uh, for you as well. Yeah, this isn't scripted. This is like you know, <laughs> there's there's no producers that are telling us to, you know, these are the points, and um, yeah, we're just gonna gonna roll with it. So, I did my big board top twenty. It mm-hmm. just came out last week, and it's on uh, nbabigboard.com. I probably should have done a a better job of from promoting it. I had a crazy weekend and I had to film a wedding and just a crazy weekend. So I I will do some promoting on on Monday. But Derek Whitehead did not make my top twenty. And one of the Let's things go. that I'm I'm doing this year, as opposed to other years, is I'm really trusting my opinion and, and my gut more. There's been times where I've had players that I wasn't as high on. And then I felt like, all right, especially last year, you know, when I was, was taking over for chat forward with, with the newsletter, I didn't want to come out as a guy that people think will make hot takes. And so I didn't want um, a guy that I may have gone, he may be like 15 to me, but the, the consensus had him top 10 and I may have like put him somewhere in the middle. I was maybe a little bit afraid to be wrong, but none of that this year. I just feel like I'm trusting my gut. There's been too many guys where I, or my gut feeling was correct. And there's been times, honestly, my gut feeling was totally wrong. And I, I'll admit Tyrese Halliburton is probably the biggest example of that. So with all that being said, Coming into the season, I wasn't as high on Derek Whitehead. And it's kind of hard to really judge him now, even though he's turned it up the last few games. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he started off the season 
He wasn't 100% healthy, had the foot injury, missed camp. There was a lot of rustiness there. But even now, I still don't have him in my top 20. But if I'm not mistaken, you have him in your top 10. Mm-hmm. I need you to explain to me why. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, so I think I was higher on Dariq coming into the year, first of all, than you were. Because you're right. The foot injury does complicate things yep. a, a good deal for him. But uh, looking at his high school tape, I loved uh, the frame, the athleticism pre-foot injury, I thought was very good at 6'6". Six, six. Uh, and he could really shoot, really, really could shoot the cover off the ball. And I think that if there's a difference between how I rank players, maybe to relative to some other folks, is that I uh, I don't sort of prioritize maybe on-ball creativity as as much as others. I think if you have a theory for scoring the ball efficiently, and that could be a big near the rim, but who has great touch around the rim and finishes everything. It could be um, a guard who gets to the rim all the time and draws fouls, or it could be a more, you know, stationary quote unquote wing player who really knocks down their threes, hits their twos, um, whatever the theory is to get you to an efficient scoring place, I'm going to be pretty aggressive in ranking you because those are the players that get NBA time. You know, the, the NBA nowadays is dictated by offense. I mean, defense matters a whole lot and we can get to that with Dariq, but it's dictated by offense. If you do not score efficiently, you don't start. And it's very, very hard for you to play because chances are there's going to be someone else who can shoot and keep an offense moving that's going to take your spot. So if I see the theory for you to score efficiently, play multiple positions, um, and really start in the league, I think that is a top 10 pick more often than not. I think the idea that someone has a theory towards starting, but someone ranks them like 18th, I don't really do that. In my opinion, if you're a starter and an efficient scorer, like you're going to be in my top 10. And that is what I see with Dariq. It, it, it starts really with his shot and my belief in the athleticism coming back off of that foot injury. That's where I, that, that's, that's the pitch. This, this is going to be great because when I look at my notes for Dariq, and this is, I haven't even did my notes off college. I, I'm still not going to judge him until maybe four or five more games when I come up mm-hmm. with a totally different set of notes for him. So for his high school, this is what I had. Good size and frame. I thought he was fast in the open floor. I thought he had a good first step. Downhill slasher. Loved to drive left more than right. Mm-hmm. Um, I said that he was the scorer. Uh, I thought he had a 90s shooting guard game. Um, which means he takes a lot of tough shots, makes tough shots. You remember like in the 90s, everybody was trying to look for the next guy that played like Jordan. So you had a bunch of guys that thrived on like isolation or whatever. I felt like he had a little bit of that in his game. Uh, What I liked was that he was an extremely confident scorer. I -hmm. thought he had a good touch on his floater and his finisher. He could score off movement. He can shoot off um, off the dribble pull-up shooter. He can play off the ball, and he has passing instincts. Those are my pros. 
Right. My concerns were the shot selection. I felt like he took a lot of crazy off balance mid range pull ups. Thought he had the tendency to be a little out of control. Didn't like his balance on his shot. I thought he drove to the rim without a plan. I thought he was a streaky shooter and more of a scorer than a shooter. Mm. And um, I thought for him to be a really good athlete, um, he wasn't like, well, I didn't think he was a really, really great athlete. I thought that a lot of his finishes in high school were below the rim. Mm -hmm. And um, I think the free throw percentage was a little bit lower than I would have liked for a guard. And um, I just thought he settled for a lot of contested jumpers. Mm -hmm. So that was my my notes on him. I know there was a lot. What is the first thing that you disagree with based off of what you heard? Uh, I think the balance on the jumper. I mean, I, I don't think that those no. I think there's probably tape to support your notes. I don't think that your conclusions are incorrect. But I think, um, for example, the way that Duke is using him kind of mimics the plan they had for AJ Griffin last year. Someone else who had a bit, had good athleticism, you know, pre-college was coming off injury. And then they ease him into that lineup in that team in an off ball catch and shoot role. I agree that um, Derek is not nuclear athlete. And that's probably why he likes to settle for that jumper so much because he can't just, you know, go through people and above and beyond everyone and finish at the rim off the dribble all the time, driving in from the perimeter. However, I think that his jumper is good enough. Streaky, yes, sure. But I don't I don't quite know what his high school free throw numbers were. You know, he's 12 of 13 from the line so far this year at Duke. And I don't really see anything in the jumper that I don't like. I think pre-college, he was a movement shooter. Like, he could be used as a movement shooter a bit more, and Duke hasn't quite let him explore that studio space. But with his frame, I don't think that sort of the 90 shooting guard game is going to be much of a concern because there's no team really that I think is going to indulge him in that that much. And I think though the AJ Griffin plan was frustrating for AJ, was frustrating for me in evaluating AJ Griffin because you always got the feeling he could do a little bit more. Putting Dariq on that plan gets him in the habit of, you know, playing beyond the arc, focusing on getting his threes up. And in his last few games where he has turned it up, as you mentioned, you know, he's really playing starters minutes his last four games. His last four games, he's all in double digits. He's had at least five three-point attempts in each one of those games. Uh, he's knocking them down and... I think that he's getting sort of used to the role that he's going to occupy early in his NBA career, where if he starts, you know, operating in the mid range and, and getting two tough contested shots and, and taking them, then he's going to lose playing time. And I think Derek, with his passing vision, as you mentioned, he sees the floor and understands it enough to buy into an NBA offense. And I think he's bought into this Duke offense. So I'm not really worried that his shot selection is going to follow him that much. I think that he's going to take his threes. I think he's going to be able to connect 
with his passes, you know, I've seen him hit cross court skips early at Duke that have looked good and have been on target. Um, and I think he's going to be able to cut. So I just, I think the theory for him is very clean. All right. I have so many more questions for you. Actually, <laughs> when we return, I want to ask you about his role at, at Duke and what are mm-hmm. your thoughts on it. But I want to talk to the audience about TurboTax. TurboTax has experts who can relieve you from the stress of taxes and file for you so you can do, well, so you don't have to do your taxes. With TurboTax 100% expert guarantee, an expert will do your taxes from start to finish so you can relax. It feels good to be done with your taxes, doesn't it? Well, that's because you went to TurboTax and someone did it for you. Go to TurboTax and do not do your taxes. Again, do not do your taxes. Go to TurboTax and visit TurboTax.com and learn more. Full service products only, video meeting while expert does your taxes are required. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com slash guarantees. Again, that is TurboTax.com slash guarantees. All right, once again, you are listening to the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast. This is your host, Rafael Barlow, and I have Chuck from the Chucking Darts Podcast, and we are talking about Dariq Whitehead. All right, so... What are your thoughts on his role? Actually, you know what? You kind of describe what his role is at Duke right now. Coming into the season, what did you think his role would be? And do you think he will eventually get to that role as we are now into conference play and the rust mm-hmm. from his injury seems to be to be gone? Yeah, very interesting. Good question. Um, the short answer So like Duke has been known, it's not going to be a short answer. I'm sorry in advance. Duke has been known the last uh, few years for having big wings that soak up a lot of usage on the ball. Paolo, uh, RJ Barrett, Brandon Ingram, Jason Tatum, all of these guys were acknowledged as sort of the best player on Duke's team and they got a lot of run. With Paolo, he played with other guards in, you know, Roach, Wendell Moore, Trevor Keels, to where that usage was spread out a little bit more. And going into the season, I wasn't quite sure how they would handle Dariq if they were going to give him that level of usage or scale it back. And I think the injury sort of answered that question for them because they know that he can shoot. And so it just makes more sense for them to lean on their guard. Now their guard play hasn't been great so far this year. So there's always the chance that they could empower Dariq a little bit more, but I think, you know, spacing is always very important. And if they know that he can space and they can maybe run a bit more things for him as an off ball cutter, that's what I think we're going to see in the immediate future because he's playing well and they're playing, you know, okay playing all right i mean they got beat by nc state pretty bad last week but apart from that they're playing okay and i think they'll just sort of lean into his shot in in helping the geography of the floor um and then maybe you see some more on ball stuff as you get into you know february and march maybe they empower him a little more and then in the boston college game they won this weekend he had 13 points in the first half and you could see them wanting to give him a bit more usage because they could see that he was hot and he was, you know, he was playing very well. 
but he scored a couple of those on cuts uh, too. And I think it'd be a, it'd be a big ask for them to take every, to take it out of the guards hands and really empower Dariq. You know, Duke is usually a little too, you know, stuffy to make a change like that mid season. Well, you know, what do you think about it? I don't know. I mean, I would like to see him have more of an on-ball role. I'm not a big fan of their guard play right now. Their offense is a little weird. I mean, I it's kind of tough because obviously the injuries have kind of impacted the start of their season. I definitely thought I'd see more out of Dariq. Definitely thought I'd see more out of Lively, who's doing just a little bit more than yeah. what me and you are doing right now. Um <laughs> So, yeah, it's just a, a a unique situation. And that's why I was asking, do you think that they'll kind of give him the keys as we, um, you know, go into conference play? But I have a, I have a couple of questions for you here. So I'm going to read some quotes from a scout, and I want you to let me know if you agree or not. So one okay. scout says, um, I'm super high on Dariq. This is in, I want to say this is in like September. I'm super high on Dariq. He's young, which is a big thing for me. He's been mm-hmm. at Montvert since he was in eighth grade, and he's super mature given his age. I think his game is scalable to the NBA, and that's probably the biggest thing for him. I'm assuming you agree with that. But then he says, actually, another scout says, even before the foot injury, he didn't create separation at a super high level. Mm-hmm. But I think his ability to make quick decisions off the catch are going to translate to the NBA. Mm-hmm. Are you a fan of or do you agree with the fact that you think that he his passing is going to help him a lot? Certainly, certainly. I think that he like I agree with the first scout. I mean, that scalable line is really just code for he's going to be able to shoot, you know, from the outside and, you know, lock down a role. You see plenty of guys like that in the mm-hmm. league. And as far as the separation point, I agree with that too, to an extent. Um, I think though that looking at where the NBA is going, you obviously want players who can do everything because the league is constantly adding talent, right? But if Dariq, uh, like a, a player that, I don't know that he really reminds me of, but a little bit is... Um, Moses Moody on the Warriors in terms of being very decisive off of the catch. Uh, Moses is another guy who's a good athlete, not a great one, you know, played on a stack team with Cade and Scotty and Daron Sharp and everything and was scalable in that he knew that he was going to play off other stars in the NBA. Now Moody is still young and like Dariq is, I mean, Dariq is an August birthday and is 18 right now. Um, I believe Moses was a May birthday, 18, his year at Arkansas. You know, he's not an NBA starter yet in year two, but with guys that young, you're probably waiting until year three or so for that really to kick in. Where I think um, I'm a bit more confident in Dariq is I like his jumper a little bit more than uh than Moses is and I think that if you look at just sort of those NBA connector pieces fourth and fifth starter types as long as you can defend you got to be able to defend and keep an offense moving you're going to be able to there's going to be a spot for you um 
And that's why, you know, maybe I'm being a bit aggressive in in seeing that starter role so clearly for Dariq, but I do think it is there for him. So, it, like, truth is always somewhere in between of those two scouts, but that that's sort of my analysis. All right. When we return, I have a few more questions for you. I want to find out who is your best player comparison for Dariq. Mm. Where exactly do you have him on your big board? And what teams do you believe are the best fit? But before I get into that, I want to talk to everybody about eating healthy and the best way to eat healthy and have a meal that's tasty, but not necessarily a meal, but a snack that's tasty is definitely a built bar. So if you're looking for a delicious treat and you don't want all the fat and the calories, then you have to try a built bar. I know it's the beginning of the year and a lot of people have a goal of eating healthier. And if you want to eat healthier, but you don't want to compromise the taste, then you got to try a Built Bar because with Built Bars, healthy is actually tasty. So you are wondering, like, what makes a Built Bar so good? Well, for starters, they're all covered with 100% real chocolate, and they come in unbelievable flavors like churro, peanut butter brownie, and coconut almond. I personally don't know how they are able to combine real chocolate and making it healthy, but they taste like a candy bar and they are healthy. Only 130 calories, four grams of sugar, and a whopping 13 grams of protein. Now, the good thing about Built Bars in 2023 is you used to just, you could only get them by ordering at built.com, but now you can get Built Bars at Walmart or at Sam's Club. So head to your nearest Walmart today, walk to the pharmacy section, and grab yourself a box of Built Bars. And if you want to order, you can go to builtbar.com. All right, last segment. And whenever me and Chuck get on a podcast, they usually run pretty long. We've had, I think, an hour and a half. I want to say that what we did one last year was well over an hour. And now it's kind of like we are on a minutes restriction here. And uh, so I'm trying to pick his brain as much as I can in the limited time. Just young players looking for a role, man, trying to carve out a role. <laughs> yeah, I just feel like with the minutes restriction, I'm like Kawhi Leonard coming back from an injury. <laughs> like, I want, <laughs> I want to do the full 48, but the, the management is like, no, we need you. We don't want to wear you out. So you're, you're playing 20 minutes. That's probably a bad comparison, <laughs> but you get the point. Yeah, yeah. All right, so who is your comparison? And before you tell me yours, Mm-hmm. I did have a scout tell me that they believe that Benedict Matherin's success in the NBA makes them believe in Derek Whitehead even more. Mm. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I think it's tough to compare him to Matherin because Matherin um, is more of a nuclear finisher than Derek. I think if you... As the season goes on, how he finishes around the rim is going to be of a lot of interest to me, because I think that the the shot, sure, uh, the passing vision, Dariq's probably further along now, certainly as a freshman than Matherin was as a freshman, but he was in Arizona two years and worked very hard to expand his game. Uh, Matherin was always a free throw magnet. Dariq isn't terrible there, but it's not really in his game to attack the rim so much. So I don't know that 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 comparison really sticks for me. However, if 
if Derek's athleticism does sort of come along, then you could see him certainly getting minutes early in his career in the same way that Matherin has. And the, the question about, you know, what teams is he a great fit for? One of the reasons I'm high on him is because I think that he would fit so many different teams. I think as a player entering the league now, the league's so saturated with talent that, um, you know, I guess versatility is a word for it, but just the ability to be appealing to lots of different offensive contexts uh, really gives you a leg up in terms of securing minutes. And then, you know, the more minutes you play, the better you're going to get. And it's just sort of a feedback loop. When I look at other players to compare him to that are in that sort of fourth and fifth starter mold, you know, on one hand, someone who I think is sort of like Dariq, but probably a, a, a very good outcome for him, someone who had a, a bit of a different path, would be Quentin Grimes, someone whose jumper was his best trait coming into the league, but who was a bit more physically mature, spent three years in college, was a very good defender by the time he came out, so you knew he was going to be able to stick. And you see how decisive he is off the catch in New York, even though he still gets his threes up and he takes the other team's sort of best uh, player on defense on the ball frequently. Uh, another sort of, you go down the spectrum, but you're still fourth and fifth starter, someone who can shoot, but who accepts defensive responsibility, well-built frame, maybe not a nuclear athlete, would be like Aaron Neesmith on the Pacers. Nisbin came in after two years and he had a weird sort of start in Boston. He was not as highly touted a recruit as Derek was, but now when he's in a more, uh, I guess, an offensive system where there's more of a playmaker at guard in Halliburton, a younger team with more opportunity, you see him make a big leap this year to the point where he went from a guy where you weren't quite sure if he was going to get a contract extension or what that would look like to someone who's like pretty firmly in their future plans, doing similar things to what Grimes does. I think that he's on that sort of fourth, fifth starter, Grimes, Neesmith, Moody sort of spectrum. But the interesting thing about Derek is that those guys, with the exception of Moody, come in after multiple years of college. Matherin too. And Dariq's not going to do that because his pedigree is too high. He's on too high profile of the team. And at his current pace, he's going to play too well to stay multiple years. So the question is, does coming in to the NBA a year earlier help him or does it hurt him? I think traditional wisdom is that it usually helps to get in earlier, get in NBA strength and development but if you're not going to get the minutes, then it can get a bit more complicated. So that that would be my sort of question as to how he looks there. If there's a way where his athleticism comes back a little bit off this injury, he finishes a little bit better. You know, in this Boston College game, he had a wide open dunk to sort of ice the game in the last minute. And he just missed an uncontested dunk, which was not great. <laughs> if it comes along a little bit, um, then you could see him as a starter early in his career. Maybe he starts by age 21 because he's 18 now. And if you're starting in the league by age 21, you, there's lots of different fun ways your career can go as long as you're, you've got that 25, 30 minutes a night. And so that's, that's sort of what I see for him and why I think he's a top 10 guy. 
All right. One of the things that I respect about you is that your comparisons, I feel are, I, I feel you're one of the few guys that doesn't compare a top 10 guy to an all-star, right? Right. Well, yeah. most people, if, if there's a guy that they have in their top 10, they're only comparing them to an all-star, right? So with that being said, if he is a combination of Aaron Neesmith and Quentin Grimes, that's still like a top 10 pick to you as a fourth or fifth starter. Yeah, it depends on the fourth or fifth starter because there's a, again, you hear the term three and D and you think they're all interchangeable. Oh, you've just got a three and D guy. He must be the same, mm -hmm. but Quentin Grimes is not Jalen McDaniels is not Patrick Williams is not Josh Dorian Green, Finney Smith, you know, Dorian yeah, Finney Smith. Yeah. These are all different kinds of players and you have to figure out which ones really impact winning. There's a reason the Knicks went on an eight game winning streak as soon as Quentin Grimes came back and debuted because it really helps an offense to have a decisive guy who can hit threes and play off the ball and guard. So when I, when I say Grimes, I am being like very, very complimentary that every offense can use a player like that. And that's why, again, a, a good draft is going to produce four all-stars, you know, and there's still six more spots before you get to 10. So if you can, if you can guarantee me a good starter at pick six, which is where Matherin went or at pick eight or pick nine or whatever, then you've done very, very well in the draft. You know, you're, you're rarely going to regret something like that. So that that's sort of where the philosophy comes from. And when I was at like a loss for words, the word I was looking for was a very realistic prediction or realistic outcome because, mm -hmm. you know, not, not every, I mean, you can just look at past drafts. I mean, you can go 2020. I think there's a fair, we've had enough of a sample size to see the 2020 draft. Right. And there are some guys that are going to be all-stars. There's some guys that are going to be starters. And there's some guys that were selected in the lottery that are going to max out as top seven or eight rotation guys. And they still mm -hmm. went pretty high. And when you look at this draft or next year's draft or any other draft, it's going to be the same thing. And not every top 10 and not every lottery pick is going to, is going to pop. And, and so for you to be high on Dariq, but your realistic prediction is for him to be a fourth or fifth starter, mm -hmm. that's not something you hear about. You hear people talk about when they have a prospect that they're high on. It's usually, you know, <laughs> an all-star type player. If not an all-star, you know, it's it's a very high-level player that just probably just misses being an all-star. Yeah, I'll clarify one thing on that is that I think that it is, I don't want to say floor because that's sort of a slippery word too. I think it is safe to assume he ends up there. And like I said, if he's if he's that by age 21, 22, 23, and he still has three more years before he's in his prime, that's when you can start to see more like rosy outcomes. I'm not going to sit here and tell you he's going to be an all-star. But I can tell you that the NBA is a game of improvement. Every great player in the NBA has improved a ton since entering the league. 
And the easiest way to improve is to get on the court and help. And that's what I think Derek is going to do. So he's going to give himself the best shot at having some like really cool development. But yeah. All right. Derek Whitehead becomes an all-star in 2027. Why is that reason? What popped that made him an all-star? Uh, if he's an all-star in 2027, it's the, he was able to find a way to get to the hoop. The athletic sort of development as a young kid has come along. Now, as an 18 year old, maybe he grows an inch or two. And now instead of six, six, he's six, seven, six, eight. And he's one of the, you know, 20 best shooters in the league. And so that's, you have a guy who can score from multiple levels, who can guard, maybe he's averaging as an all-star, maybe he's averaging 20 a night by that time. Um, and his team is a three seed, you know, for, for those sorts of teams, teams that win with winning players on them, they usually send multiple guys to the all-star game. So he's maybe playing off of another star, but he's putting in his 20 a night and they're really good. And you reward him. That would be how. Last question. This is a question a scout asked me about. I'm going to forget who was it about. A scout asked me this about a player. And I was like, wow. Okay, this is a tough question. And the question was, if, and, I, and I'll, I'll rephrase it for Dariq. If Dariq Whitehead is not successful, mm -hmm. what is the reason? And we're just talking about, obviously, on the court. Right. Uh, defense would be the reason it would be that his, uh, his foot speed and his, uh, just the ability to, there's a difference between being able to survive on defense and be like a really positive defender. I think that he should be able to survive, but if he's not positive, if he's not good at the point of attack and getting over screens and he's not covering ground, you know, Xing out and rotating, then he starts to slip into rotation player land away from starter territory. And that would be, that would be the danger for him. I am betting on the athleticism coming back to a point where, you know, you don't need to be able to block shots at the rim all the time, but you do need to be able to cover ground close out well and then stick and change direction and that i haven't seen a ton of at duke yet and in conference play you should get a bit more of a taste of that but that is something to watch with him in my opinion but one thing that has been consistent that i've been hearing about Derek from every nba scout that i talk to everyone says that he is a great kid and that's mm -hmm. just like it's it's weird because you know i'll ask about different players and, you know, they say, oh, this, and, I mean, it's usually not a lot of negatives, but for Dariq, one of the first things they say is great kid comes from a great family. This guy is, it's almost like, even if he doesn't succeed on the court or pop as like, you know, I don't know, an all-star or even top seven or eight rotation guy, the consensus based off of what I'm hearing is like, he'll be on the, in the NBA a long time because he's that good of a person. He is the type of guy you'd want on your team, even if he's like out the rotation. Like he's, I mean, he just, his personality is that good. And he, his character that 
he'll be in the NBA for a long time. And that's, to me, that's pretty cool because there are guys that it's like, if they're going to stick it, the talent has to carry them there. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because if they're not worthy of, or if they're not producing X amount of points, then, or they're producing a certain, you know, a certain level of production, they're not worth having on, on your roster. That's, you know, unfortunately that that ha- we, we've seen it happen with guys that are really talented like I don't know I guess the best example that comes to my head would be Allen Iverson once he was not a 25 point per game scorer <laughs> he was he was out so I said I have to say this Derek has been getting crazy high praise about about his character well man I, I really appreciate you coming on the show I definitely have to to have you on again and you know this minute restriction is kind of hard because we can we can go on, but thanks again, and thank you, the <laughs> listener, for making the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast your first listen of the day. Now check out the Game to Game Podcast. Every moment, every top performance, every result. Locked On Game to Game covers every game across the NBA with local analysis that only Locked On can deliver. Follow the Game to Game on Locked On. NBA. It is available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right. We are down to like the last minute. Where can the listeners find you at on social media and your podcast? At Chucking Darts, C H U C K I N G D A R T S, the Chucking Darts NBA and Draft Podcast. Follow me on Twitter is the best way to get the pod. Subscribing to the pod is the best way to get the pod. So that is it. And thank you so much for having me. By the way, you have like one of the coolest logos out. <laughs> like <laughs> I can see that on a t-shirt. Like I'd wear it on a t-shirt. So thanks again for having me. I'll Once take again, you up on that. <laughs> all right. Sounds good. Once again, this is Raphael with my guy Chuck from Chuck and Darts. And we are out.